Now, meditation, we have to be present or be aware with whatever is arising. As Masi said, or said very, very simply, on what are we meditating? We are meditating on whatever is arising. So that's very clear, no, no doubt about that. So whatever is arising, there are many experiences. We have already mentioned quite a few. But of course, in a human life, something that is also arising in the field of our experience are emotions. And those are very important. They are not a mistake in human conditioning that no emotion should arise. They are the richness of our life. Don't think that will be so amazing to aim to be without emotions. So it's a very important part of our life. Yet it seems that we don't exactly know what to do with emotions. They are usually cumbersome. We, we don't know how to deal with them. And therefore they can be a problem. Not by the nature, but just because we don't exactly know how to deal with them. So I should say, when I speak about emotion here in this context, it has a very specific meaning. Emotion here is a translation of the Pali word kilesha, which means something that is troubled the mind. So it does not include uh, tranquility, joy, you know, although that would put in another, <coughs> another category. So when speaking about emotion here, I'm speaking about what is um, troubling the mind. Just a way of vocabulary. And if we check in the Western tradition, what are emotions, we see that it's also quite difficult. We find so many different things in what is included in emotion. You can check in, in books and uh, from Greek philosophers or psychologists and you will see that it's amazing what is included there. And uh, it's not because people are not smart, it is because emotion is something very subtle that we cannot just look like we look at a different shape of flowers and colors. It's very easy to agree, it is a rose or whatever, but with emotion is more difficult. And I should say with emotion, like with any other aspect of the mind, the difficulty comes from our tendency to want to observe aspect of the mind, emotion, mental state, as if we were observing object. We are so skillful at observing object. As I said, flowers, plants, or even planets with, you know, telescope or whatever. We are very, very skillful and very well organized. And then when we are dealing with the mind, we want to adopt the same attitude. To look at it, you know, we try to put in front of us the emotion, the mental state, or whatever is arising in the mind, and we believe that by observing those, we'll know them more precisely. But there's a problem there that we don't have two minds: one observing another one. We have only one, and usually it's quite enough. We have uh, enough to deal with that. So now, um, when we want to observe the aspect of the mind putting it in front. So, in a, in a sense, we do not deal with emotions, mental states. Uh, we deal with some kind of representation of it. 
So we are never dealing really with emotions or mental state or what is a man. We are, we are making a representation and then that what we're exploring. Therefore it is difficult to discover what it is. To, to, to explore the mind and its various aspects, we need another strategy, another attitude. An attitude that is uncommon and maybe that, that the difficulty when exploring emotion. Not that it is something so far away, on the contrary, it's very close to us, so close that we cannot be at a distance from them. Something that we can experience directly. Now when it, <coughs> I mentioned the Sutra the other day, I said that we are not bound by reality, we are bound by our confusion with respect to reality. And of course, emotion is a way that this confusion is playing out. Uh, it's very clear and intense way that uh, confusion is uh, present within us, and we feel that. So as emotion, negative emotions here are a great source of confusion and suffering, they are also the place for freedom because we don't need to free ourselves from so much joy and peacefulness, you know. I, I wish I could get rid of peacefulness and joy and so much tranquility, you know. It's really rare that people are complaining about that. But um, since there is confusion with the ne negative emotions and is binding us, that's exactly where we can discover some element of freedom. And I think in, in our exploration in meditation, there are many beautiful aspects and me, maybe the aspect of exploring emotion is one of the richest. Mm. And one that has the deepest potential of uh, bringing some element of freedom. So when we start to understand how to deal with emotion, that they are not anymore a burden, but they are just like an aspect of ourself uh, that can be completely integrated, I think we really discover Maybe what meditation is about. In the description of the awakening of the Buddha you know, under the Bodhi tree, the story is very nice and beautiful actually. Sit under the Bodhi tree and with a decision and intention to awaken. And suddenly he's attacked by the army of Mara. A huge army attacking the, the monk there under the Bodhi tree. And, um, throwing rocks, mountains, I mean, huge, I mean, nothing that we encounter in our meditation usually is we meet small difficulties if we see what the Buddha was dealing with in his uh, awakening night. But when we get the name of those uh, Maras attacking the Buddha, they are lust, they are um, pride, they are confusion, they are, so what it means is just emotion. So under the Bodhicitta, before he can awaken, he has to meet the emotions. And the story said that those rocks and arrows that are thrown at the Buddha, he transformed them into flowers and they just come and rest on his lap. So suddenly it becomes a decoration. It doesn't break the mountains or the arrow, it transforms them into flowers. And exactly that's what meditation can do, transform them into flowers with beautiful fragments. So I think the exploration of, of emotion uh, are something quite uh, amazing in our meditation. 
now when there are no emotions, no need to look for them, although some in some practice, especially the Tibetan practice, sometimes they, they are looking for emotion and they raise emotion. They are looking for emotion, they say, so imagine something that you, 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 you would desire so strongly and then start to deal with a desire or, or, or something that you have aversion. Or I remember speaking with an old Lama, he was explaining that in Tibet they used to go to a cemetery in the mountain and uh, meditating all night where there used to be many spirits that would come and disturb the meditators so that the fear would arise. So they would look at the, at the place where the, the deepest fear could arise to meet the fear. So they, they used that uh, aspect and I remember also uh, a monk in Thailand, a Tibetan monk in Thailand, telling me that in his training as a monk, they also used to go to cemeteries and then to spend the night alone, so that, as in Asia, they believe a lot in spirits. They've gone a little bit now away from our country. They've just sat in the television set now, the spirits. But in Asia, they're still outside, you know, in the cemeteries and uh, facing those difficulties. So it can be some practice where we look for them, but... I think we don't need it. They would come at time if we have some emotion. They will come at time and that will be the proper time to meet them and, <clears throat> and try to be clear about them. So it's, it's a very great opportunity to discover what uh, the freedom can be gained through meditation. I have to say a few words about Buddhist psychology, very, very simple, so we understand where to play the emotions. Um, because the tendency that we, we see them as, as something that we try to get rid of. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a foreign body that should not be there and we try to throw it out, we, we want to get rid of. But emotions are just aspect of our mind, and we cannot get rid of, without getting rid of our mind, which doesn't work either. So, uh, to understand that um, our mind is always um, perceiving something relating to, you know, to perception, to what we see, to what we hear, what we taste, and so on, and also to what we think, mental images, memories. So there are all those, there's always one, let's say in this sense, one, one object that the mind is, is having or directed or knowing, the mind is knowing some specific object. But it is not just a, a neutral way to be connected. This, uh, the mind knowing this object also uh, is impressed in a way, it can, it can know this object in a, in a pleasant way, or oh, that's so pleasant even if we don't need to say it so loud, but the, this um, seeing is experience, like for me with the, the trees and behind, and then there's a pleasant, in this seeing, its experience has been pleasant, and sometimes on the contrary, is uh, unpleasant, and there, there is some element of, um, can be desire, it can be aversion, it can be anything. So the, the mind is not just some neutral camera that is just recording. It is really involved in the world when it's perceiving it. 
and in the way of being involved is uh, uh, through feeling, I said, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling, but also I can be um, desiring or aversion or anything like that. So it is the aspect of the mind that appears in this way, it appears uh, with this quality of desiring, of aversion, or, of being pleased, or on the contrary, uh, calm. So all those as are aspects of the experience. So that's very important to understand. And this aspect of the, of the mind, desiring or aversion, as always, uh, all those aspects can be pleasant, can be tranquil, can be desiring. All those aspects arise at the same time, and they have the same object. I mean, uh, if I see something beautiful and uh, this pleasant feeling and desiring, all those just arise at the same time, and they refer to the same object. So the emotions are a way to perceive something, to relate to perception or images or think thoughts. And confuse way, confuse way to relate to. When we try to understand an emotion and we cut the link that it has to its object, then it starts to lose its meaning. So when we want to observe an emotion and turning um, to ourselves and cutting to what it is related to, then suddenly the emotion loses its, its meaning. We try to understand it, but there's something that is lacking there because we don't understand it is a way to relate to something, a confused way to relate to something. And, and that's important if we want to stop to treat emotion as if they were objects, to understand it's, a, it's the way the mind appears. And my teacher compared the, the emotion like uh, the salt we put in water or the sugar we put in water. So the water has a salty taste or a sweet taste, but we cannot say this is water and this is a salty taste, this is the water and this is a sweet taste. They're, they are together. So uh, emotions are the sweet or, or salted taste that our experience can take. And there's more than just salty or, or sweet. There's many, many aspects. But it's still a way to, to relate to the world. That's just what I wanted to mention for Buddhist psychology. So we, we understand that uh, emotion is the way, quality of mind relating to something, not, not in itself. There is no anger in itself. There is no uh, desire like that. I desire. What do you desire? I don't know. I just desire. You know? Doesn't make much sense. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that it is always so clear. That means always so, so clear. I, I can be, uh, I can be angry, and we know that. Uh, and I'm not. I don't know exactly. I have forgotten what is uh, the object of this anger. So I can see it, and I feel anger, and it's not very clear. So it doesn't mean that uh, we always are very aware of the object with respect to which this emotion is arising. But it's still arising for some reason. There is no just anger like that, uh, or desiring like that. Uh, I think we all have this kind of experience. Maybe there is something that we read in the morning or hear, or some experience, and then 
maybe later we, we find we are there is some irritation we wonder well, there is some irritation we, we don't remember exactly why but we feel uh, it's strange I'm irritated and then suddenly we remember oh yes this morning I, I read that which disturbed me but I had forgotten really why what was the source of this irritation and when it is on the same day usually we can find it and, and usually that's when we find the source we can start to deal with that and it make it easier to to go beyond this irritation. But when we don't remember, it seems it stays there because we don't understand the meaning of this irritation. So it doesn't mean that for us it is always so easy to to know what is the object. And sometimes emotion can be linked to very very old memories that that are not present. And I mean as a something that is uh, conscious, so we can be disturbed by something we don't exactly know by what we are disturbed. If we look at the Satipatthana Sutra, it's interesting the way it's phrased. I think it's interesting to read with a new mind again and again. He said, when a meditator has a mind disturbed by desire, he knows, she knows. Very simple. But sometimes we are disturbed and we don't know that we are disturbed. So we can meditate and we don't know why it's not, it's not so pleasant, it's not so calm, and we are not even aware that we are disturbed by something. And it, it takes some practice suddenly, and openness. If I'm connected to, to, to breathing, and I think it's, it's, it's difficult, and my mind is not very calm, and um, I make much effort, and I may try to make more effort and I may think maybe maybe I, I, I have a hard time to meditate now and to, to really be in touch with breathing or with the presence of the body or something else. And maybe I, I make more effort to feel that, the body. But it may take some openness to discover that something is disturbing me. I am, I'm not really interested in breathing or the presence of the body because something is disturbing me. And it may take some, some practice, some resting with what's happening to discover suddenly that, yes, something is disturbing me. And only when I can touch that which is disturbing me, so I can start to, to deal with what is conditioning me. So the, the sa- simple sentence, when a meditator of the mind troubled by desire, she knows, he knows, Desire can be anything, of course, uh, and that is quite important to let our experience open so that if there is an aspect, then we can start to be aware of this aspect. If we are too much focused on I want this and that, then we may miss what is disturbing us. So I like to put some some slogan that you, of course, are welcome to reject, you know. But um, the emotion is not what is affecting us. The emotion is not what is affecting us. It is the way we are affected. The emotion is the way we are affected. Because I am affected by a situation. And I am affected in by being sad or desire or angry or something like that. So the anger, sadness, desire is the way I react to the situation. So it is the way I'm affected. It's not 
that by which I'm affected. I'm affected by maybe that which I desire, maybe the, <coughs> maybe the situation that is um, I'm reacting through anger. So emotion is the way we are affected, not that which is affecting me. When we believe in that which is affecting me, I want to get rid of the emotion. Disconnecting it from its, uh, its source. And then cutting that, then it starts to be difficult really to be clear. Now it is possible that uh, I can breathe, I can bring some quietness to my mind because I don't want to hold on to this emotion and maybe, maybe it does disappear for the time being. But I have not really seen through the confusion that is linked with this emotion. I have dealt with that for the time being, that's fine. And sometimes we need to do that, you know. I am, I don't know, in a, in a situation, um, working or other place, and I need to deal with anger quite fast. I cannot say, please wait, and then I want to see, you know, all the aspect of my anger. I mean, uh, that, that doesn't work. You don't get more friends doing like that. So <laughs> maybe, maybe just by being aware of breathing and bringing some quietness, maybe that, at this time, that the proper attitude but it does not help me to understand what is really anger and what is an emotion. So luckily in our meditation we don't need to, to answer to you know, responsibility right there, so that gives us a possibility to explore wha- what is the nature of emotion. And, and that's quite fascinating. It is so rich that the mind can manifest in so many ways. It's like we have different life. I have the life of desire sometimes, and the life of sadness, and the life of anger, and the life of... All those lives, can you imagine if there were only one emotion, we'll have only one aspect of life. It will be boring, even if it's quiet and peaceful. So it's so fascinating, mind can manifest itself. And on, on the aspect of here speaking about negative emotion, but there are of course many other things. It can manifest with sleepiness, resting on itself, you know, or, or calmness, tranquility, joy, and anger, desire. So what we can explore is how is a mind? What is a mind manifesting as desire? What is a mind manifesting as irritation? What is it? It seems we know, okay, I'm irritated, she's irritated, he's irritated. We know what we're speaking about. But how is it? How is the mind relating to the world when the mind is irritated? How, how, what is the disposition of the mind in this context? How is the mind of sadness? We know what is sadness. And you see, when I say sadness, we immediately have some kind of object in mind. Yes, sadness, I know what it is. And as an object, but not as a way of being. So for me, there is some fascination in discovering. For for a long time, I was exploring what what does it mean uh, to be anxious? So we know fear, fear about this and that, fear about sickness, about death, it's that's quite clean. There is something that we are afraid of, that's fear. But I was wondering, what, what is anxiety? It seems that it's not about this or that. What is this anxious mind, you know? In my meditation, and sometimes it would arise in, 
in the middle of the night, but what it is, you know, what is that? How is the mind, you know, anxious mind, how is the mind in the world uh, when it is anxious? And, and for me, it slowly did appear that the, the, what was at stake there, it was uh, maybe the fear of losing reality, you know, that, well, reality is not so solid, and the anxiety was more about losing reality rather than the fear of death, which seems to be at least very clean, you know, well... I am uh, I am alive and maybe I will dead there but you know something is very clear it's existing well losing the the sense of of reality it seems to me uh, another way of being quite quite fascinating you know? well play with that you know so to in our meditation to explore what does it mean you know how how this way of being sad is this way of being irritated or desiring what is it? You know, we know the power of desire; it can be quite strong. But how is the mind desiring? We we don't we don't find uh, I think too much. Or I don't find because maybe you find too much help in in psychology or psychoanalysis, for example, about desire. You know, if we read the text, they say. What we do with desire, what they will happen, there is, you know, sublimation, there is expression and satisfaction and all those, but we know what we are doing or what it does, but we don't know what it is. You know, what, what is the mind of desiring before trying to, to get rid of it through satisfaction or sublimation or, or repression or whatsoever? But what is the mind desiring, you know? And as we say, it can be so strong. You know? leading us, you know, or leading some people to drive for 100 kilometers to get a good meal, you know. There are many other reasons to desire, you know, not only good meal. You know. uh, yes, uh, yes, there's also, you know, the sexual desire, and then that, that can be so strong. And what I, I find it's interesting that uh, to deal with that... Uh, when, when we try, in a sense, to deal with a desire as if it was an object, then for me it, it's not convincing. You know, in text they say, well, if you have a desire for a man or a woman, then you imagine the inside of the body is not as attractive as the outside. So, uh, yeah, you can add, you know, and... Uh, yeah, that, that's okay, but, but for me it, it can deal with the situation if I want to deal, but it does not explain to me what desire is. You know? and not just about um, dealing with the situation. So when we see, just to speak about desire there, well, the, the desire is, there is a confusion as in any emotion, otherwise if it's just aspiration to awakening, we will not speak about desire. As I said, there should be confusion for to be an emotion. So what, what the desire, the way of being in the world, the confusion of the desire is that it projects satisfaction in something, in a person, you know, in an object. And while if this satisfaction really, and well, very strong satisfaction is really there, then I'm right. I should really cling to that because if satis- this deep satisfaction is there, you know, I should really go there. But the satisfaction is just a, a creation in our mind that we project on, onto, 
Of course, there is satisfaction. It's not that uh, there's no satisfaction, but it's never to be found, you know. There, it's the way I can react to a situation. So imagine if satisfaction was really there in a person. Everybody will run after the same person. Because, what, did you see the satisfaction? <laughs> Go there. Well, I can't tell you the trouble. They will be, luckily, we project in different persons so that it's well shared, you know. So when we start to, to, to see... Uh, the projection of desire, just as saying, this is, a, this is a, just in our image, this image of satisfaction that I believe is to be found there, but when I can really see that clearly, clearly, and that is disconnected from the source, I mean, it can be a person, can be a situation, can be I mean, many things we can desire, then when I see that the situation is not there, it's just my own creation that I believe, again, it doesn't mean that this situation or this person cannot uh, trigger some satisfaction. It's not that. We don't want to say that no situation can bring satisfaction, but still, the satisfaction there that I project is, is a creation of my mind. When I see that clearly, I can disconnect that from the source, from the person, then at this time, I can start to integrate desire, and then I don't need to fight against it, I just oh, just an aspect of my mind. And I think then it becomes possible to, or easy at time, to, to deal with the desire. Not when we want to, I don't know, you know, like Saint Anthony? He, when he had desire, he would go in the nettles and just naked so that he would feel so much pain, there would be no desire anymore. So here you have nettles, but don't go there. You know, it's better to try to explore, you know, what is it? It is very sweet in the sense of San Antonio. It's trying to deal with that in a in, in quite intensive way. You know, we hopefully will try to get some softer possibilities. You know, so the the emotion is a complex uh, complex phenomena because there is a, a quality of the mind, as I said, a way to relate to um, some object or situation. But it also affects the body. It's not that just the mind, uh, the body is completely quiet and peaceful and the mind is desiring or the mind is angry or the mind is sad. No, it also does affect the body. They work together. And sometimes the, the, the body reveals the emotion. Sometimes we sit down and we meditate and we feel some heaviness on the chest. Oh, there's some heaviness there. And as we connect more and more, finally we could maybe experience sadness. So here the, the body helps us to discover there was an emotion there. So they, they are together, not disconnected. So there is a, what we call the emotion, this state of mind of desiring, confused state of mind of desiring, or anger, or hatred, or jealousy, or culpability, or whatever. There is a physical reaction to it, so coming into the play, but also connected with the emotion, there is a belief. There is a, a certain vision of the world. Each emotion sees the world differently. Yeah, the, the way that sadness sees the world, or depression, although it's a complex phenomenon, sees the world is not the same, not at all the same, as an anxious person sees the world. Yeah. For the sad person or depressed person, the, the world is, is grey, is not interesting, there is no satisfaction, the contrary, there's no satisfaction to get anywhere. So then there is the body has lack of tenus and we can feel that the, the person show in the way of, you know, 
holding themselves there is some kind of lack of tonus, lack of energy because no no intention to really put oneself in motion to get some satisfaction they do not seem to be any in the world that we can expect you know? so there is a belief there a belief that the world is is um, not interesting no satisfaction no, there is no fascination in the world and for the sad person or depressed person that's the reality that reality for the anxious person fearful person the contrary the world is, is full of danger you know so the person is very agitated always looking here and there we we never know we, we never know in any place there could be some danger and the person believe that is an objective way of seeing reality of course there is some danger we cannot say that there is no perfectly safe situation but the anxious person had more much more danger than they could be in one place you know. so in in this sense uh, and the person believe it is it is a true way of seeing the world and if you speak with those person they are going to convince you through stories they read you know in 1930 there was something like that or in south africa there was something like that they, they will have plenty of argument to convince you yes the world is dangerous so the problem here is the confusion between the belief and reality. There is a belief about the world, like in sadness, like in anxiety, and we take this belief for reality. And it is true, if the world was as dangerous as an anxious person sees, we better, we better be anxious. It's true, if, if you know, behind any kind of tree there could be, you know, no tiger, that would be a bit much, but I don't know, it could be some danger. I think we should really, really be anxious. You know? Or if the world has, was so dull as a depressed or sad person sees, then really we should be depressed. I mean, there's not much to expect. So the problem is there, the confusion between belief and reality. To not to understand that my vision, when I'm in a situation, I can be sad or depressed at time or or anxious, but to realize that <coughs> that the way I, I see the world is not the way the world is. Again, I can see that is my own creation and I project onto the world. When I can withdraw this projection and just see, yes, that the way I think about the world, the way I, I project that image into the world, then at this time, this loop that was made between the emotion, if you like, the, the situation and the belief, then it starts to be broken. And when we break this loop, something can happen. We, we are not anymore just uh, stuck in this emotion. And it's quite important to, to break this loop. One way is to, to realize um, the way we see the world. Uh, the, the way this emotion sees the world. You, you could check sometimes if, if you experience sadness or anxiety or something else. How do I see the world? And you will see that that is something quite specific. Certainly not everybody would agree with that. Freud was, was wondering when he, he was you know, having some patients in, in his 
so far, something like that, he, he had in mind that everybody naturally would uh, will uh, look for pleasure. For him it was, you know, the pleasure principle, so everybody just is looking for happiness in life, and uh, that's fine, and when he had people come in his office, and then they, what they were describing was terrible, you know, was all the difficulties and terror, and they were even, I guess, imagining more than they, they had been experiencing. So for him it was quite a... Uh, Troubling, you know. It did. It did contradict his own vision. He said that that doesn't work. It, they should come and just speak about beautiful past experience, and they come and they only remember a few very bad ones and the worst. So they remember more or less, or they, they express it in different ways, not exactly the memory. And and he was really wondering during a big part of his life what what is wrong with that? You know, wh- why those difficulties are what is arising and not the good moment. Why not? And at, at the end of his life, when he was in London, he wrote in a piece of paper because he could not see very much anymore, just the last year of his life, and he said, because they want to be integrated. So the difficulty do arise because they have not been integrated. Usually nice experiences have been integrated, so they don't stay as something that has not been digested. So it's the same in our meditation, Difficulty may arise from our past, from um, our life, and they they do arise as long as they have not been integrated, or as long as they will not be integrated. And I think meditation is a fantastic way to integrate them. Easy to say, but uh, well, that takes some practice. And we may wonder, what does it mean to integrate? Yeah, that's nice. Integ- I like to integrate my emotions. You know, good. I come in my sitting and to integrate my emotions. Okay, let's come emotion. I will integrate you. Well, what does it mean? You know, to, to integrate something into something else, they must be of the similar nature. You cannot integrate something of different nature. You know, you, if you do swallow a piece of metal, that's very difficult to integrate for your stomach. It doesn't work. So in, in this sense, only things that are of similar nature can be integrated. So the important element to integrate emotions is not to treat them as objects, but to really see them as aspects of the mind. Only when we realize them as aspects of the mind can be integrated. As long as we treat them as objects, they cannot be integrated. So now what does it mean to, to realize they are just aspects of the mind? That, that our practice of meditation, the, the very challenge and beautiful aspect to discover they are just aspects of the mind. But one, one element that I mentioned before which is important is to recognize that there is an emotion present in us, that there is an emotion that is disturbing us. And it is important to know which kind of emotion. Because if we are mistaken, it's very difficult to integrate something that uh, has not been recognized. I was reading in, in Beyond, the uh, uh, English uh, psychoanalysis, said something very interesting. He said that the mother named to the child the experience so that the child can integrate them. 
So the mother gives the name. You know, oh, you are sad. Oh, that oh, that's painful. That I think we can, when we hear mother, we can see they they don't read beyond. They don't need to read beyond to know what to do. But they do it naturally. They, they mention what the child is experiencing, so that for the for the child it it, it is. Um, it is meaningful, yes. That's something, something that the mother recognizes, not something strange, not overwhelmed by something strange. Yes, that may be painful, that suffering, that sadness, and something like that. And then the child can integrate that. So in the same sense, we also need to recognize an emotion to be able to integrate it. And, and sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes we believe that something is disturbing us and it's something slightly different. So in our practice, it is important not to jump to, to conclusion and close the conclusion. Yes, maybe, maybe, it is, maybe it is irritation, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's impatience, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe. So, so to leave it open. And then we, we, I think we feel exactly when, yes, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. Not that there's an exact way of... Uh, feeling sadness or, or um, irritation, but uh, we know when it seems that that's what I am experiencing. So to, to leave it open, uh, not, not to hold on to some conclusion. And some emotions also can, can transform. If we uh, imagine anger, so sometimes we experience anger, and then we start to just to be in touch with that, and suddenly there may be sadness underneath, or there may be guilt or shame. So it's important to let the process be alive. You know, no, I want to deal with anger, so now there's sadness, but I want to deal with anger. To deal with what's happening. So each, each emotion is, is a world in itself, and it's so interesting to explore. If, if we check with anger, I think it's quite interesting also, it's quite painful, but uh, anger may have some aspect, I don't tell you the truth about it, it's just uh, I, I feel about it, so anger, there is a, maybe there is a sense that through anger we don't want to face the reality of our powerlessness, we are powerless and therefore we get angry. You know? So that, that's avoiding the, the way I, I feel powerless. You know? As I mentioned uh, in the group this morning, that when when something is about to happen, which is not good, we are not angry. We try to stop it. But when it's over and I cannot stop it, then we get angry. Well, then we get upset because we are powerless. I said this uh, the beautiful vow there. You know, it's about to fall. I'm not angry. I just run and uh, and tell somebody, be careful. I'm not angry. Now it's down. Now I get angry. What? Nothing to do. And I will be angry as long, or as long as I'm angry, I don't see any solution. Maybe my angry anger goes down and say, well, I think it's not broken too many places. Maybe we can fix it up. So now you see, I'm not angry anymore. Now I see a solution. So this is a simple situation. Sometimes in life situations are more complex, but as long as anger is there, we are powerless, and that keeps us in powerlessness. But if anger starts to go down, then now what can I do in this situation? Eh? Something has been lost, of course, that's why I'm angry or was angry, but now I can take a decision. Yes, so that, that's too bad, that's gone. 
what could we can do now, maybe that or that, you know, in a, in a business or any situation, something can be done, you know. Sometimes some very little can be done, but then we still have to take this decision. So for me it's interesting sometimes if there is anger to try to connect or check either this uh, way of not wanting to feel the powerlessness. I don't want to feel that, so I'm hiding this powerlessness uh, through anger. And it's really anger, as I mentioned, is like this uh, animal in the sea that, you know, throw ink so it can uh, hide, you know, anger, throw ink so then uh, I, I hide my powerlessness and when the ink goes away, now I have to face powerlessness. And, and then maybe, maybe beyond that can be shame if, or guilt or whatever was a situation there. I discover in, in somatic experiencing one interesting aspect that Peter Lewin was uh, describing about the, the fear of or anxiety. And I explore sometimes and I found it quite, quite interesting. He said that when there is anxiety or fear, the body is quite tense. And the body is tense. And we, we can feel that sometimes if there is some fear however intense it is, and the tension, but the tension is not the fear. The tension is not the anxiety. The tension is, is the tension. But in a sense, since I am tense, and this tension expresses fear or anxiety, it reinforces the feeling of anxiety, which reinforces the tension, and I am stuck in that. I'm stuck because if I'm tense, I guess there is, there is reason to be anxious or fearful, and then I'm fearful, I tense more, and then, well, then it means that something is dangerous, so we, we are in a loop, you know. And to disconnect that, the fear or anxiety from the tension, it is so, so interesting. Can I deal, can I deal with this tension? Like, well, then no problem to be like that, okay, well, yeah, okay, I get tired, okay, let's relax, you know. But if I'm like that and anxious, that's very difficult. So sometimes we can explore, can I, can I integrate this tension? Just the tension. I see that the tension is not the fear. And then I can even play it out a little bit more. Say, well, that's okay, actually. Not dramatic, it's not so pleasant, but it's not dramatic. And suddenly that I can, can already relax. And now I broke the, the loop, so now I can see the, the anxiety and try to integrate that into the mind. But as it has broken the loop, I think it's much easier to integrate. So I said to integrate is to realize that emotions are just aspects of the mind. And I want to take some examples, maybe easier to, to deal with, so to explain what it means to integrate. Let's take sleepiness. You know, I think sleepiness is so interesting. You know. Again, how it is possible for the mind to feel sleepy? Uh, we know what is sleepiness, you know, okay, like that. But, but how the mind, the mind can be sleepy, what does it mean? You know, the body, not too much tonus, that's, that's easy, but, but the mind being sleepy. For me, it's like the, those birds, you know, taking a wing to, 
to be able to hide and, and sleep, you know, they, they, they cover themselves, so the, the mind feels sleepy, it's like resting, it, it covers itself, it, it brings some image of some dullness, so that it's not fascinated by, by the stimuli. So it's, it's like animal putting ink, but there it does put some kind of uh, dullness or mist, so that it's not anymore so uh, touched by, by the world around. So it takes this aspect of dullness, maybe we can't find another word, so that um, uh, it's less stimulated by other things, and then it rests. Yeah. But the aspect, the, the mind or the awareness stays what it is. It has not become suddenly dull or disappear. It has just taken this, uh, uh, this aspect of... Uh, now, not salty or, 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 or sugary, but it had taken this aspect of something like mist. But if we identify the mind with mist, then the mind is sleepy and I am sleepy and then oh, difficult to fight. But if we realize this dullness is just the way the mind appears, not the way the mind is. Just the mind appears as this dullness, it's not the way it is, and then it can be integrated. Then I can be fully present in sleepiness. Sleepiness does not, uh, uh, by any way, hinder the way I am present. No way. Only if I identify, only if I identify the, the, the mind with this dullness, then I am dull, I am sleepy, and then I cannot be present. To, you see, the, to, to see the, this aspect that it takes, is not what it is, but it's just the appearance it takes. In, in the text, I remember oh, my teacher, the Tibetan teacher, used to take the example of a prison. You see? He said, if you put it on a, on a red cloth, it appears red, but it does not change its color. It, you know, it's transparent, but it does appear red. So if we take it for red, then that the, if the prison believes it's red, is when we believe we are sleepy. But when we see it's just the way through the condition it does appear, then we can stay completely aware within sleepiness. We don't need to get rid of sleepiness. And that's the same for any kind of emotion. It can be sadness, but sadness is also just this appearance that the mind takes. It doesn't, it's not what it is, it's the appearance it takes. Then sadness is okay. Then when we experience sadness or anxiety or, or whatever, with this quality of integration, then no emotion has the power to bother us. If at this time I would say, would I rather be without this emotion? Say no, it doesn't matter. On the contrary, I have learned something very deep. I have learned that my freedom does not depend on the presence or on the absence of those emotions. I can be fully free, not disturbed, even in the presence of those emotions, because there is no confusion with respect to them. Try to give you another example. An example with work and uh, do not work also. But let's imagine we are in a in a city and uh, looking at a, at a shop. You know, there's this big window there, and in the window you see the reflection of what is uh, going on on the street. You can see I don't know the bus going by, the car going by, and maybe people walking behind you. So you you see the image in in the window like that. So it, it no, makes no sense to take uh, clothes and try to get rid of this car or the people there. I don't want people in my window. You know. Nobody will do that. So it's just 
reflection, reflection. The window has no change. The window is completely unaffected by those images. Now we have to imagine our mind as being the window. And the window take itself to be the bus, take itself to be the car, take itself to be those people. Then, of course, it gets disturbed. You know? So, but if the window realizes the window is not what is reflecting, so it does stay completely at peace, whatever is arising, and is not disconnected. It's not because it push away emotions. You know, like I want to stay at a distance from my emotions; they don't concern me. You know, like some people they. They want to stay cool in meditation. They put everything at a distance. And we wonder where life is anymore. Life is at a distance. That's not what we're looking for in meditation. We're not looking for being at a distance from our life. But on the contrary, to be right in the middle with whatever's happening, but in a free way. So in this sense, emotions are a beautiful way of exploring. It does take some practice. If I see in my practice, sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes it's not clear at all. Sometimes I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm sleepy. And okay, I'm, I'm, I'm the window identifying with, with the reflection. But sometimes not. And that gives me a great trust in meditation. So yes, I can really be free whatever the situation is, whatever the emotion is. But you can also explore that in calmness, tranquility, joy. Because we can also identify, you know, I, I was speaking about reflection, but if it's a beautiful reflection now, oh yes, that I want to be, joy, calmness, <coughs> tranquility. But it's the same confusion, same confusion. And we will feel that if I can experience joy, tranquility, and not identify with it, it will not disappear. But there will be some other dimension. There will be a dimension of freedom much, much deeper than just the experience of joy and, and calmness. So also in the positive emotions, so to speak, we can explore that. We don't need to wait for difficult emotions. Any mental state we can explore with this quality. So that's what I wanted to say. A few words about emotion, because I think there are such an important part of our meditation. Again, we don't need to look for them. There is no mention. There may be sleepiness at times, there may be calmness, there may be tranquility, and exploring that so that we don't uh, identify and we are not bound by those experiences, but we are not rejecting them. So now there will be time for walking meditation. Just make a few announcements before. So you have to be aware that there are ticks around, and I think a, a notice has been uh, put in, in the dining hall, so please read it, that uh, you have to be careful not to uh, go in high grass and or to check yourself. The notice is explaining, so please please do that. Read it in the in the dining hall. And also, it's important that you come on time at the, at the sitting and leave uh, on time, so that there can be some, some peacefulness. This exploration, as I was describing, is quite subtle. And if there is much happening around, it's difficult to really connect with that subtle aspect of what's happening within us. So please do, do come on time and don't leave before. I noticed this morning some people came after the instruction, which uh, 
I guess is a bit of pity because that's what we're transmitting. So maybe it will be good if the people ringing the gong uh, to end the, the working period will end 10 minutes before so people can go to the bathroom or wash their hands and come on time at uh, quarter to 10 so to, to hear the instructions. So please deal with that so that uh, everybody can benefit from what's happening here and, uh, and keep this... Uh, Play silent, and I think it's a, already a beautiful, beautiful space. He's building up, and energy is quietening very much, uh, tranquil. So respect it, protect it, and uh, just keep on uh, your meditation with, with sleepiness, with sadness, with whatever is arising, but with curiosity. Bring this curiosity and lightness in in your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.